0: Greetings from the Mountain Mama.
1: My name is McKenna.
0: And hey, it's Galen.
1: Galen, you're uh, sounding awful deep-voiced today.
0: (laughs) Well, okay, to be perfectly honest, Galen actually died last night. This is her (laughs) husband, Chris, and I, um, until it's Halloween and we can revive her, you get me for this time. But don't worry, she'll be back next month.
1: (laughs) We have to wait for All Hallows Eve to resurrect
0: her. Yes, that's right. Thank you.
1: (laughs) But um, you're listening to Living War.
0: This month, we are going to take a look at one of West Virginia's most iconic locations, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. This month's podcast is going to be a little different.
1: We are, of course, going to talk about the asylum in Weston, but in the spirit of Halloween we are also going to share some of our own spooky stories.
0: But that comes later. First, let's talk a little about what was going on before the asylum was built.
1: Unfortunately, during this time period, views of mental illness were rather archaic. People exhibiting aberrant behavior were were considered to be possessed by demons or witches and, on occasion, by the devil himself. A fine example of this is the Salem Witch Trials of 1692.
0: It wasn't until the 1770s that facilities began to be constructed specifically to house the insane, but these places were designed to extract the individual from society, not to help them reassimilate through curative methods.
1: The 1800s brought much-needed change. Through the efforts of some enlightened individuals, most prominently Dorothea Dix, the mistreatment of the mental ill was brought to the attention of the public.
0: Lawmakers were forced to commit funds for more humane care. By mid-century, Thomas Kirkbride's theory of creating a curative environment took hold, and the age of the asylum had arrived.
1: Dr. Thomas Kirkbride had a theory on what he referred to as the moral treatment of the insane, a constructive idea unique to the United States. Essential to the realization of his vision was moving patients from overcrowded city jails and almshouses, where patients were often chained to walls and cold, dark cells, to rural environments.
0: The grounds were to be tastefully ornamented when buildings arranged to reassemble a shallow V if viewed from above. This design called for long, rambling wings that provided therapeutic sunlight and air to comfort living quarters so that the building itself promoted a curative effect, or as Kirkbride put it, a special apparatus for lunacy.
1: These facilities were designed to be entirely self-sufficient, providing the patients with a variety of outlets for stimulating mental and physical
0: activity. Kirkbride's plan influenced the design of the asylum in Weston, and soon construction started in 1858, only to hit a roadblock in 1861 when the Civil War began.
1: The Civil War was one of the most tumultuous events in American history. At that time, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was still in the early stages of construction. The southernmost wing had been completed, and the basement and foundation of the massive central structure had been excavated and walled in.
0: In June, Virginia's succession from the Union brought all non-war-related work to a halt. This set the scene for the most dramatic event in the history of Weston.
1: At 5 a.m. on the morning of June 30, 1861, the citizens of Weston were roused from sleep by the sound of drums, fifes, and marching soldiers entering the town. It was the 7th Ohio Infantry, which had marched all night from Clarksburg, approximately 25 miles from the north.
0: In command was Colonel Erastus Bernard Tyler, who was familiar with the area and well-known to many of its citizens. Tyler ordered his troops to sweep through the town and seize any individual suspected of Confederate sympathies.
1: One of his men, Captain List, took two armed soldiers and made a beeline for a specific location and the real purpose of the
0: mission. They were going to rob a bank.
1: They were going to rob a bank.
0: And they did rob a bank. <laughs> Wait, did they? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they did. Oh, okay, um, okay.
1: The bank in question was the Weston branch of the Exchange Bank of Virginia, which held almost $30,000 in gold deposited.
0: Tyler's mission was to seize the gold before it could be returned to Richmond and used to support the rebellion.
1: Awakened by the commotion, banker Robert McLandish, who lived on the second floor of the bank, appeared at the front door where it was demanded he turn over the contents of the vault.
0: 27000 Worth well over half a million today and gold was taken, leaving $2,371.23, which the books established as due to creditors. The money was taken to Wheeling, where it would help fund the new state of Virginia, which, in 1863, became West Virginia. It's us. It's just, it's just a couple of people in West Virginia.
1: <laughs> it's us. <laughs> <laughs> Partially built asylum and surrounding grounds became Camp Tyler, establishing Weston as an important military post vital to the control of of the well-traveled roads in the area. The completed southern wing of the asylum provided barracks, and the main foundation served as a stable
0: said the asylum had a lot going on even before it was an asylum.
1: Indeed it did. At the end of the war, the completion of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was prioritized. Consequently, while so many other towns were financially ruined by the war and would remain destitute for a decade, Weston did not experience a post-war depression.
0: Business boomed as the asylum established itself as the primary economic resource for the town. It would remain so until it was closed 130 years later.
1: The asylum finished construction and is the largest hand cut stone masonry building in North America.
0: Wow, that sure is interesting, McKenna. Now it would cut. <laughs> I get stuck in that laugh after that. It was designed by the renowned architect Richard Andrews following the Kirkbride plan. The original hospital, designed to have 250 souls, was opened to patients in 1864.
1: The asylum, like many places, started off with good intentions. At first, the patients were well taken care of, but soon the building became overcrowded, with patients living in generally poor conditions.
0: A report from a mental hospital survey committee noted that the hospital's conditions were far from appropriate because of the lack of beds and antiquated facilities. A similar feature by the Charleston Gazette in 1949 found poor sanitation, lighting, and heat in much of the complex, except for Ward 6, which had been rebuilt following the major fire in 1935.
1: Plans to renovate the other wards of Weston soon came to fruition, but despite this, the facility was persistently overcrowded. Originally designed to house 250 patients, it boasted 717 patients by the time the main building opened in 1880.
0: It had 1,661 patients by 1938, over 1,800 by 1949, and nearly 2,600 by the 1950s. When the overcrowding issues were the most severe, the same beds were utilized by multiple patients who slept in shifts. Patients were crammed together, with sometimes four or five to a room intended for one.
1: The farm and dairy on the compound originally designed to provide for 300 were unable to meet the increased demand that came with overcrowding. Patients began to suffer from malnutrition, which only exasperated mental health issues.
0: The West Virginia Lobotomy Project was initiated at Weston in the early 1950s in an effort by the state and Walter Freeman to use lobotomy to reduce the number of patients and ease overcrowding concerns.
1: In the course of his lifetime, Freeman performed some 4,000 lobotomies leaving sometimes perfectly healthy patients with lasting physical and cognitive damage.
0: His ice-pick method, which involved slipping a thin, pointed rod like an ice-pick into the patient's eye socket and using a hammer to force it to sever the connective tissue in the brain's prefrontal cortex, resulted in a number of deaths.
1: It wasn't until 1994 that changes in the treatment of mental illness and the physical deterioration of the facility forced its closure. This inflicted a devastating effect on the local economy from which it has yet to recover.
0: Now, the once ornate building, intended for healing but destined for destruction, sits abandoned, as if the patient simply vanished into thin air. Rooms are still filled with medical equipment, decrepit furniture, and wheelchairs sit in the hallways.
1: Since 2007, tours have been made available for those who wish to see the asylum firsthand. Ghost hunters, the building's most frequent visitors, say they feel the presence of the hundreds who perished in the shocking conditions.
0: Between the events of the Civil War, the fire, and the numerous deaths that happened in the building, intentional or otherwise, you can understand why people consider this place to be haunted.
1: The former facility was actually featured as a haunted location on several paranormal television shows, including Ghost Stories, Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters, Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures, and Paranormal Lockdown on Destination America, as well as Portals to Hell, and most recently, Travel Channel's Destination Fear. That's a show?
0: Oh my goodness. I
1: want to watch all of these.
0: If you're interested in taking a ghost hunt yourself, you can find tours and all other information on TransAlleghenyLunaticAsylum.com.
1: So speaking of ghosts, Chris and a uh, ghost, Galen. <laughs> do you have any ghost stories you'd like to share with our listeners? I am my own ghost story.
0: <laughs> well, I believe Galen's ghost story is just being here right now. She's starting her own story. <laughs> Not much haunting, but she's still here. I haunt. I haunt my she haunts. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you Caitlin has stolen my joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, while I haven't seen any ghosts myself, I almost turned my grandmother into a ghost one time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Mama, if you're listening to this, please turn off now because I know you probably don't remember it. It was shortly after she moved into our house and I hadn't gotten used to her yet. And I heard someone coming up to my room and as far as I knew, I was the only one there. So, what does a scared 14-year-old do when they are alone in their house? Well, you grab a... Big knife, of course.
1: Big knife.
0: So I did. (laughs) (laughs) I did. So as I approached the door to see who this uh, this stranger was coming to my door, I pop out with the knife, only to see my grandmother. Her face has gotten incredibly white at this point, being scared that you know her grandson is pointing a knife right at her. (laughs) Thankfully, she is still with us today (laughs) and has never snuck up on me again.
1: So she doesn't remember this?
0: She very likely does not. I love you, Mama. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the fear is in the back of her mind, so she knows never to she approach alway, to she it. She
0: always knows. She doesn't remember the event, but she knows in the back of her head don't sneak up on me. <laughs>
1: so we now know go- like Chris has never seen a ghost, but he's tried to make one. Yep.
0: That is true, unsuccessfully. But perhaps one day. McKenna, do you have any little spooky stories?
1: I have one. It actually happened here in our office. Uh, no. So I was here alone one time and we have a, it's kind of like a square shaped office so we have like a hallway that goes around the middle part and I was the last one to leave and all the lights were on in the hallway leading to our kitchen So our doors are really heavy and they always like they'll open by themselves. So I went <laughs> I went to the kitchen, turned off the light, shut the door that's right beside the kitchen, and locked it because it's so heavy they will just open. Okay. So I, I, I know I locked it so it wouldn't open, okay? Okay. Because it's always in my way. <laughs> As I'm walking down the hallway, about ready to turn off the last light, I hear a creaking from behind me. <laughs> And as I turn around I see the door that I just locked <laughs> opening. And I was immediately like, you know, I don't have I'm so tired.
0: I really don't <laughs> I don't have time to do it. Just, I know uh, I know I can't
1: chose death over i was like i'm so tired i don't want to deal with ghosts today i'm leaving i turned off the light i booked it i grabbed my backpack set the alarm and was out of the (laughs) office i was like you know on a normal day i might be like hello but i didn't want to be the stereotypical like girl in the horror movie on this particular day yes so um yeah i booked it out of there and I'm still kind of nervous to be in the office alone especially around the kitchen cuz that freaked me out
0: <laughs> so it seems like when you're in the office if you see the ghost the best way to deal with it is just ignore it and be scared in your own mind don't talk to it and don't it'll talk feel, to it will feel yeah it will feel bad it's not getting the attention it at wants and it'll just leave
1: just don't feed into the attention and the ghost probably won't kill you
0: that's exactly right that's very good <laughs> good advice
1: Oh, yes. And here's an honorable mention, because (laughs) Galen uh, could take corporeal Corporeal. form. Um, This is the ghost story she would tell. (laughs) So before they started renovating Thurmond, like this was a while ago, um, Galen and I were up there exploring, and there's a big white house up on the hill. It's abandoned. So we walked into this old white building on the hill. And we're looking around. We're not doing anything. We're just kind of, like, investigating. We walked up the stairs. I had my camera out. I was, like, taking pictures. And all of a sudden, (laughs) we hear, like, this huge bang from downstairs. It sounded like a door slamming. And Galen did not even hesitate. She, like, I don't even think she looked at me. And (laughs) she just bolted down the ch- the stairs and left me in the dust <laughs> and I, I waited there for a second because I was like well that's where the noise came from if someone's down there she just ran immediately into them and uh, <laughs> I was waiting to hear if I heard screams because I was gonna have to go save her <laughs> so I waited for a few seconds and I didn't hear anything so I went downstairs and Galen was waiting at the porch and she was like oh the door just slammed shut by itself <laughs>
0: Galen has abandoned her friends while...
1: Wow. I didn't even... I just bolted. In a time of need, Galen's yeah, very afraid. She didn't even hesitate.
0: Galen won't be coming back from the dead until she pays the price for that one. <laughs> That's why she is... <laughs> she's paying her penance off right now.
1: So I now know what's going to happen if ever we're in a haunted house together.
0: Every man she's for himself. Leave.
1: The spirit of Galen has one last thing to say that she would like us to impart on you. You have to tell Halloween jokes.
0: <laughs> Apparently we have to tell some we Halloween have to tell jokes some Halloween here. Jokes.
1: You're bootylicious.
0: Ooh. <laughs> that's not a joke. That's a word, babe.
1: <laughs> how do vampires get around on Halloween? How, how do they? On blood vessels.
0: <laughs> what do mummies listen to on Halloween? What? Rap music. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's, this is great. Great entertainment here.
1: <laughs> Why did the Headless Horseman get a job? Where? He was trying to get ahead in life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. gonna, gonna... The spirits were disturbed by that one.
0: <laughs> what do skeletons order at a restaurant? What do they... Spare ribs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what do ghosts wear when their eyesight gets blurred?
0: What do they wear?
1: Spooktacles. Spook. Oh.
0: <laughs> Where do ghosts buy their Halloween candy? Where? At the ghostry store. Oh wow! <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: Why didn't the skeleton go to prom? Why didn't it? He had no body to go with.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what does the vegan zombie eat? What? Graves.
1: <laughs> How do you know vampires love baseball? Do you? They turn into bats every night. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Chris, for joining our podcast in our time of need.
0: Yes, thank you for having me.
1: And thank you guys for listening to Living Lore.
0: A production of The Scenic Route, sponsored by Loop Press.
1: If you like what you hear, please remember to like and share on Spotify or your favorite podcast provider.
0: Or you can check out our Twitter or send us your own spooky story at livinglorewv and livinglorewv at gmail.com, respectively.
1: We'll see you next month on Living Lore.
0: That was Galen's contribution to the episode. (laughs) We can hear
1: her spirit. (laughs) Hello. My dear best friends. She's coming through pretty staticky, so we're probably going to wait until All Hallows Eve to actually communicate with her. But um, thank you for your contribution to the episode today, Galen.